Hello and welcome back. Now, in the series of videos that are going to be coming up, I'll be looking at different quotations in all the literature books that you'll be studying as part of your English Literature GCSEs. Now, these videos that I've created are actually based on student feedback. So, when you're leaving reviews and leaving some feedback in your reviews, I pay attention. And a few of you students have essentially mentioned that whilst the model answers are really helpful and the overviews that I've offered for the different books in the Literature Paper 1 and Paper 2 exams are really helpful, what you'd also really appreciate is for me to go over key quotations and do some word level analysis. So I'm listening and I've created these videos basically based on your feedback. So do make sure you leave a review and give me some feedback because where I can, I will be more than happy to help and create some videos to cover things that you find essential that maybe hasn't been covered in this course. So now, in the videos that follow, essentially what I will be doing is I'll be going over word level analysis for key quotes for this text that you should be aware of. So let's get started. Now, to really understand Macbeth, I think it would be really good to essentially look at key quotations related to each character in this play. So what I thought would be really interesting, given that there's lots of different scenes in all five acts of the play, rather than separating the quotes and kind of doing word level analysis with the quotes according to each act, I think it would be more beneficial if I selected important quotations, which you can also memorize, but also explained to you essentially the kind of word level analysis you can do and what these quotations mean okay so essentially when it comes to Macbeth the first quotation which I think is very powerful and of course it also can create this sense of foreshadowing this foreboding atmosphere whereby we get the sense that Macbeth is going to be influenced by the witches is so foul and fair a day I have not seen which is taken from act one scene one now this is powerful because it basically echoes what the witches have said foul is fair and fair is foul uh, which was at the beginning of the play now in terms of word level analysis always make sure that you understand that foul and fair this is a really powerful example of alliteration and of course this shows and this really emphasizes to us this unnatural atmosphere that's going to be eventually created when Macbeth does kill King Duncan but equally this is oxymoron because foul and fair they are opposites okay again that sense of unnatural ease that's being created and this is obviously before Macbeth essentially encounters the witches then in uh, Act 1, Scene 4, Macbeth mentions stars hide your fires. And this is after Macbeth and Banquo encounter the witches. So the witches prophesy to him that he's going to be king. He's going to be first Thane of Cawdor, Thane of Glamis, and then Thane uh, king thereafter, okay? In fact, it's the other way around. He's first the Thane of Glamis when he meets them. Then they predict and prophesy that he's going to be Thane of Cawdor, which he's then promoted to by King Duncan. And then he realizes, hang on, if the witches have predicted already that I'm going to be Thane of Cordor, I might actually become king. And I'm really feeling very guilty about this desire that I have to be king. So he's asking the stars. This is celestial imagery, imagery related to the gods, the stars, the moons, the planets. He's asking the stars to hide this dark ambition, this dark desire to become king. He, and this personification emphasizes this. And of course, what this is showing is Macbeth is feeling incredibly guilty about this wish to become king. The other quotation is when he's talking about his vaulting ambition which overleaps itself and of course the word ambition links to the theme of ambition this idea that he sees his ambition this is before he decides and this is once he's talked to Lady Macbeth he 
almost is thinking, okay, I can kill the king and he's reflecting on this and he's thinking that this ambition is way too powerful. He might not even be able to handle this responsibility if he becomes king. The other key word in this is when it overleaps itself. And this is taken from Act 1, Scene 7. Overleaps itself is personification because ambition is personified as overleaping itself, okay? Now, when it comes to the other one, uh, this is I dare do all that may become a man. This is taken from Act 1, Scene 7, whereby Lady Macbeth basically goads Macbeth into killing the king by questioning his masculinity. Now, this is important because he is using alliteration, dare do, and of course alliteration is being used here by Shakespeare. And this alliteration is really forceful because basically this is showing to us that Macbeth feels really, really insecure to prove his masculinity. The other quotation to consider is when he sees this dagger, he's about to kill King Duncan, and he says, is this a dagger which I see before me? And of course, the word dagger is a symbol of death. And the other thing is that this is part of an extended rhetorical question. He's wondering if he sees this dagger which he's going to use to kill the king. Okay, and this is taken from Act 2, Scene 1. The next quotation to consider is when Macbeth, after he's killed King Duncan, he asks, Will all great Neptune's ocean wash this blood clean from my hands? And this is taken from Act 2, Scene 2, when he comes back after killing King Duncan with the bloody hands and the dagger as well. And he asks this to Lady Macbeth, but of course he's also just thinking this out loud. Now, when you're doing word level analysis, always remember, great Neptune's ocean. This is hyperbole, over-exaggeration, because he thinks that what he's done is unforgivable. He's committed an act of treason, okay? A direct act against God because he's violated the divine right of kings by killing King Duncan. So this is a hyperbole. And on top of that, this is all a rhetorical question showing that he feels incredibly guilty after killing King Duncan. This is in contrast to the following quote. When he and Lady Macbeth in Act 3, Scene 2, they decide to plot against Banquo. So Macbeth remembers part of the witch's prophecy was that whilst he would become king, actually Banquo's kids would succeed him. So he says that, you know, they placed upon his head a fruitless crown, but obviously he wants to make sure that that's not the case, okay? So they call him a snake, okay? This is a metaphor. So we've scorched the snake, not killed it in terms of, so the snake is a metaphor for the threat to Macbeth's power, but also we have sibilants here where they are essentially plotting so Macbeth and Lady Macbeth they are plotting to kill Banquo and of course it shows that in contrast to how guilty he was feeling before so when he killed King Duncan he felt really guilty now he's become really ruthless he's also now about to kill and betray his friend then he kills Banquo his ghost appears in his banquet this is act three scene four and he orders the ghost he tells the ghost thou canst not say i did it and then you've got colon here okay never shake thy gory locks at me this is act three scene four now this colon is an example of caesura okay this is when there's a pause midline but also this is an imperative sentence he's talking and making orders to the ghost now what this does is it emphasizes macbeth is a little bit cowardly he doesn't want all the other guests to see that he's actually betrayed his friend and killed him and this is in contrast to how macbeth was presented to us at the beginning of the play as very valiant very honest okay so this is a very cowardly act he's not only killed and betrayed his friend but also he's now saying well you can't you can't prove that i killed you okay it's really cowardly the other quotation is now, as opposed to how Macbeth was in Act 1, Scene 1, when they uh, then encountered the witches in Act 1, Scene 3, where he was like really scared of the witches, who are these supernatural characters. By Act 4, Scene 1, Macbeth has become totally corrupt and actually he's even trying to command the witches and he calls them secret black midnight hags, okay? And this is Rule of Three, secret, black and midnight. And this is in Act 4, Scene 1.
Now, Macbeth, he obviously uh, is a tyrant. He doesn't manage the Kingdom of Scotland well as a king. He becomes really consumed by being influenced by the witches as well as his wife. But then, by Act 5, Scene 5, it becomes really obvious that he has been tricked by the witches and he's about to die. So now he's becoming really guilty in terms of being self-recriminatory. He's thinking, actually, I've been misled by these guys and now I'm going to be killed and I'm going to be used as an example of somebody who's been corrupted, okay? So there's two quotations to remember from Act 5, Scene 5. The first is, all our yesterdays have lighted falls. Now here, lighted falls, lighted yesterday is personified. So this is an example of personification from Act 5, Scene 5. He is reflecting. These two quotations show he's now becoming self-recriminatory. He's now realising, actually, I'm going to die. I kind of deserve it, okay? I made a mistake. I shouldn't have been ambitious. I should not have killed the king, okay? Then the final and most famous, perhaps arguably one of Shakespeare's most famous quotations of all time up there with to be or not to be from Hamlet is, life is but a walking shadow, a poor player that struts and frets his hour upon the stage and then is heard no more. This is taken from Act 5, Scene 5. It's arguably Shakespeare's most famous quotation okay now what this is showing again is Macbeth this is part of the same um, dialogue in the in this act and Macbeth is realizing that he has been deceived by the witches his life is now brief he's now realized that he's been deceived and just been used as a pawn a plaything for them to cause chaos in Scotland and this uh, notion that life is but a walking shadow this is a metaphor talking about the brevity of life now this shadow is in a play okay so this is an extended metaphor play representing life the brevity of life how brief life is okay so this uh, shadow is walking upon the stage okay so this is a metaphor for life's length so they come they play their part on the play of life and then they are forgotten after they've played their bit in life they are forgotten and obviously Macbeth is now realizing and reflecting that maybe my life is going to be used as a warning against being too excessively ambitious so that's it when it comes to the quotations to remember with Macbeth as a character and do make note of these word level analysis word level quotations the key techniques that go with each quotation and I will suggest after that start you know memorizing these quotations and using them in your writing when you're writing model answers